Welcome to the Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Whether you are in your car, folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, or maybe even just enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes of quiet, we're so glad you're joining us today. Here's your host, wife, mother of four, foster mom, entrepreneur, and author, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of The Crystal Pain Show. As I record this episode with my guest, who I'm going to introduce you to in just a minute, it is the week of the midterm elections, and things have still not been decided. And I just thought this conversation cannot be happening at a more appropriate time in our country when there are lots of opinions and lots of thoughts, and these can lend itself to there being disagreements and division and tension in relationships. And so today we are going to be talking about how to delight in our differences, love through disagreements, and live with discomfort. And this conversation is inspired by the book, Come Sit With Me, that is published by Dayspring. It is actually over two dozen Encourage writers. If you're not familiar with the website called Encourage, it is just a website of encouragement, mostly for women, I would say. And this is their writers coming together and each writing a chapter on relationships and how we interact with other humans, even when it's hard, and what it looks like to love well, even when we disagree. And so I'm really excited because I get to have one of the authors of one of the chapters, the chapter that happens to be on kind of the topic of political disagreements and how we have these conversations well and practices that we can practice to help us when we feel that tension and division in relationships. And so Michelle Kushat, who is not only one of the (laughs) authors, but also a dear friend, someone I have known for, I think it's almost 10 years, Michelle, if I did the math correctly. I think it actually maybe even longer than that. But yeah, pretty that's a long time by the way, a decade. Yes, especially in the online world, you know? Exactly. And actually so many people come to me when I talk about speaking and writing and they're like, "How did you learn how to speak and write?" And lots of practice, lots of putting yourself out there, but Michelle was actually my speaking coach back in the day when I was just starting in on this journey of learning how to communicate well. And I learned so much from her that every Mm. single day of my life, I am using principles and practices that you taught me back then. And so it's really an honor to have you sitting across from me in our podcast studio to talk about really communication. That is what this topic is. But before we dive into that, Michelle, I'd love for you to just take a minute and introduce yourself to my audience. Absolutely. My pleasure. I had forgotten about us working on all those speeches years ago. (laughs) So much time. So many children have passed. (laughs) We have so many more children. All right. So I'm Michelle Cushat. I'm married. I have six kids. Uh, Ages. Are you ready? 30, 28, 25, 16, 15, 15. So if Crystal and I got together with our families, 12 children would be present. <laughs> From 30 down to zero. I know. That's just a lot of good. So y'all know. This is why we're doing this, so we can have a break. Yes. 
Uh, I'm an author, speaker. I'm an executive coach, a presentation coach. I'm all about communication, uh, learning how to communicate in a way that is focused and clear and powerful. But ultimately, and this is my main priority, that communication is supposed to be a tool for connection. Mm. Mm. And if connection is not happening, then it's not great communication. And mm. so that's why this topic about come sit with me and creating environment spaces where we can have good conversation that uh, facilitates really powerful connection with each other. It's so critical. And mm. honestly, it's a it's a, a lost art. We're losing the skills mm. of good, good communication and connection. Yes. When everything is about emojis. <laughs> And the thing you probably know with teenagers is that they've taken all of our old fashioned emojis, as they call them, and turned them into mean different things, too. So it's yes, like it's like a minefield. I never yes. know what emoji to use because <laughs> I could be doing it wrong. My teenagers let me know all the time how very uncool I am. So, And if you use a period, this is the new thing. Like if you use a period, they think that that's passive aggressive. So you either oh, use no... no. Oh no! Yes. These are things that <laughs> and I'm I think learning. I'm just doing good grammar and punctuation. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm learning. Teenagers will teach you lots of things, oh. but but in this world where so much of it is these little sound bites mm -hmm. and three second videos and emojis, you're right. We're losing the art of having a conversation that is not just yes. yelling at someone. Exactly. It's not just this is my way, so listen, and mm -hmm. you better you know be able to tell it in 15 seconds or they're scrolling on, you know, but just sitting down and actually having a conversation. And so I'm excited that we get to do that today. And one of the things that I found was interesting, the book, the subtitle, so it's Come Sit With Me, How to Delight in Differences, Love Through Disagreements, and Live with Discomfort. And I thought that delight <laughs> in, dis in differences, like those are two words you don't usually no, hear. It like put sounds together. like they would be opposed to each other versus being in the same phrase. And maybe that's part of our challenge, right? Mm. Is that we've lost the ability to hold delight and differences in the same sense. Mm. Delight uh, is a word that. Um, feels it's got some joy, some positivity. Somehow there's something surprising that's good, surprising mm -hmm. in a good way. But somewhere along the way, we have reframed this idea of differences being equated with bad. Mm. That difference equals bad. Difference equals conflict or difference mm. equals tension. And so part of this challenge of delighting in differences is learning how to embrace and welcome people perspectives, uh, conversations, experiences that aren't the same as ours. Mm -hmm. In other words, rather than being so homogenous with our life experiences, learning to embrace kind of the vast color of humanity and people uh, mm -hmm. around us. And when we start to see that as, when we start to see differences as texture and perspective and um, interesting stories, all of that, it can become a source of delight because it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. But it requires us, you and me, to be grounded in our own sense of identity enough that we can tolerate somebody having a different point of view than mm -hmm. we do. And not take that as an affront. Exactly. Not see that as, oh, they're different. That's something like, must be wrong. Yes. <laughs> like all of a sudden I have to put on my defenses because someone is different than me mm -hmm. instead of seeing that as, 
oh, this is beautiful. I can learn from this person who is coming at something from a different perspective, a different background, a different life experience, and that's going to make my life richer. 100%. I was actually talking with a good friend of mine this morning about the the um, the skill of curiosity. Mm. And she had said, don't you think that's kind of a secret weapon that we need to to really lean into is that skill of curiosity, staying in a place of being curious mm. rather than defense. You know, mm. curious puts us both on the same side of the table, looking at something else and being curious about mm. it. When we're defensive, we're on opposite sides mm. of the table and we're attacking. Right. Mm. And so the skill of, you know, can I just stay curious? How mm. interesting. Tell me more about that. Tell me, you know, what's the story behind how you feel about X, Y, Z? And that curiosity changes the entire dynamic of the conversation. Mm. And I was thinking, you know, when you're on the defense, I feel like it's like you put up this wall or the shield mm-hmm. almost, and, mm-hmm. and you hold people at arm's length. Yes. Well, because it feels scary. Mm-hmm. It feels threatening in some way. That's why... I go back to this idea of we have to be so secure in our own sense of who we are, what we believe, that we don't need to feel threatened. Like mm-hmm. ultimately, our sense of being threatened boils back to some kind of insecurity in our part that we can't tolerate somebody mm-hmm. being different than us. Mm-hmm. Whereas curiosity, I think of that as like the child leaning with the magnifying glass over something. Yeah. Like when you're curious, you're leaning in. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you are feeling this threat of difference, you're pulling back. And so I love that about what does it look like to be curious? And before we dive into more how we walk that out, Mm -hmm. I just wanted to read some of the chapter titles from this book, Come Sit With Me. Like I said, there were two dozen or more than two dozen authors um, who write for the Encourage website. And this is so good. Mending a marriage that was falling apart. What if pain is the stage for miracles? Setting seats at the table for my political opponents when forgiveness is exhausting. Staying friends when you share more differences than similarities. The messy, beautiful power of speaking the truth in love. The loving work of biting your tongue. (laughs) We could say that one again right there. (laughs) Just for anybody in the back that needs to hear. And will you be a flamethrower or a fire extinguisher in the dumpster fire of internet comments? So those are just a little sprinkling of some of the chapters in this book, Come Sit With Me. And one of the things that I loved is it not only was there a lot of inspirational and encouragement in each of the chapters, but also it ends with practical application and very it gives you steps to take. It's not just like, here's this inspiration, but no, here's how you practically walk this out. And your chapter was titled staying curious when you want to run away. Mm. Talk to us a little bit about this, this idea where this came from and about this chapter. Well, when my husband and I were dating, uh, you know, go way back in time (laughs) and we were we were dating, you know, when you're dating somebody and getting to know each other, you chit chat about different things. Well, I remember one particular day when uh, I, it was just an ordinary day, an ordinary conversation. But in the, the process of that conversation, it happened to be brought up uh, m- my 
boyfriend at the time, not yet husband, his political affiliation. Mm. And what's interesting is I didn't know that. So we had been dating for a few months at that point in time. I really, really liked him. But when he mentioned offhandedly his political affiliation, it was the exact opposite of my Mm. political affiliation. And I had been raised in a family that felt very strongly about a certain political party. It doesn't even matter what it is. But when he said that, I was so shocked and I wasn't just shocked. I was appalled because I had associated the opposite political party with being anti everything I valued Mm -hmm. and believed in. Mm -hmm. And so I had then translated the political party of his choosing to his character, to his integrity. I had, I had, it was a big check mark against him to the point where in that moment I thought I would have to break up with him because of it. Now mm. I feel really foolish now all these years later, but in that moment it was really a shock to my system. How could I continue on in this dating relationship with somebody that I thought I could really marry mm. if we were so completely different politically? And it did cross my mind that maybe this relationship needed to end. Fast forward you know, several decades uh, and multiple children later. And I'm so glad I didn't bail. I'm so glad that this one difference didn't cause me to bail because over time I came to realize uh, that uh, we had far more in common than we had difference. Mm. And over the years, our different voting records have changed. Mm -hmm. We've done, you know, we've voted differently at different times for different reasons. It was really just a very minor part of the narrative of our relationship Mm -hmm. and how we grew. And we grew more by coming together and hanging in there with the differences than we ever could have by separating and kind of dividing lines Mm -hmm. in that relationship. And then since then, you know, we have, three grown children who are of voting age now. And whenever all of our kids come back home for a holiday or whatever, invariably the conversation will go to (laughs) politics and religion and all the things you're not supposed to talk about. And there are as many different points of view at the table as there are people. Mm. And I've finally, it's taken a long time, realized the beauty of that. How Mm. beautiful is it to have such varied points of view and we can all bring these very passionate perspectives and have conversation about it, sometimes even passionate conversations, yeah. heated conversations. Uh, but we love each other and mm-hmm. we can do that even in spite of the differences. Now, that said, it's been hard earned. It hasn't been always mm-hmm. a clean and easy process. It's been messy. But I'm so grateful that I didn't cash out on a relationship um, just because of the differences, but I stayed in it. Mm. And I feel like some of the people that I am closest with, they, we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Either they they have very different beliefs, very different political affiliation, or they're just in a very different season of life. And that gives them a very different perspective. Very different. And, and I feel like yet I have learned so much. If we only associate ourselves with people who are just like us, how are we ever going to learn and grow? Mm-hmm. 100%. We've talked about, you know, just raising children and I have three kids who were foster adopted. And that whole process has opened up my world significantly. Mm -hmm. Um, Judgments or conclusions that I had made in my pre-foster adoption Mm -hmm. life are very different now that I've walked this different road. And I'm very grateful for how it's opened up Mm -hmm. my, my world to see different points of view. Well, 
if you take that foster adoption journey and how it's really opened up the scope of my purview, why couldn't that be the same for other differences mm -hmm. too, right? You mentioned earlier this idea of children being curious with the magnifying glass. Mm -hmm. And it really struck me when you said that. Children are curious, by nature curious. They're mm -hmm. asking a million questions because they love learning. Mm -hmm. They're in a mode of learning. And as we become adults, somewhere along the way, we fall out of love of learning. And when we fall out of love of learning, we lose our curiosity. Mm -hmm. And so one of the best things we can do. This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. And I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in. And all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort, and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. As adults who want to mature and grow in wisdom, is to kind of recapture that childlike um, curiosity, but passion for learning. And mm. when we have differences, to see it as a classroom, not a conflict. Mm. So good. You say in your chapter, navigating difficult conversations isn't easy. If you feel overwhelmed by or resistant to the idea, I get it. I would rather avoid conflict and tension at all costs. But we have a Jesus who, rather than dodging disagreements, pressed into relationships. That's the kind of person I want to be, too. Mm. And then you share five practices that can help you love well, even when you disagree. And I'd love for us to take the, the remaining time that we have for this podcast and just walk through those. You, you've touched on the first one, stay grounded in your gospel identity. Let's unpack that more because you said, you know, our identity, that's really what it is rooted in, whether mm -hmm. we are going to be threatened by differences or be willing to be curious. Yes. So this idea of identity, our identity guides us whether we realize it or not, right? And so when I processed this with my spouse now, when we were dating, I was very much grounded in my political identity because it was part of our family. It was something that we were passionate for, which is why somebody who had a different party was threatening to me. I needed to get back to the fact that my identity is bigger than any party. My identity is bigger than politics. It's bigger than religious denomination. It's bigger than just my role as a mom or not a mom or whatever. 
Uh, and that gospel identity is the fact that we are seen and chosen and loved by a God who chose to forgive us and embrace us and make a way for us to be with him. That is the grounded identity. And what is so powerful about that is when we identify as someone who is a sinful, imperfect person that was saved by a loving God, well, guess what? That person next to us that voted differently than we do, that person is also seen and loved by a God who is full of grace. Mm-hmm. And that makes us um, family. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, that makes us on the same side, regardless of our differences. And it kind of takes the the threat or the fear out of the nature of our disagreements. Mm-hmm. So how do you get to that place of, I feel like a lot of people struggle with, you know, you were talking about your identity was in this political party. That's kind of how you've been raised. How do you get from that misplaced identity to placing your identity in Jesus? Like what process was that for you? Well, for me, I had to decide really at the end of the day, what is going to save me? You know, mm-hmm. And you know, we haven't gone into it here, but I've, I'm a three-time cancer survivor. I've had to wrestle with my mortality mm-hmm. for about 12 years now. And I had to go at the end of the day, what is the one rope I can hang on to? The one mm-hmm. thing that's going to save me? And there's no political party that's going to save me. I think we've seen that over the last mm-hmm. couple of years, that it's a broken system. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not secure. And so every time I would grab onto something other than Jesus, eventually it would fail me. Children don't always like you as a mom, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, your marriage isn't always perfect. Your career doesn't always go on an upward trajectory. And so practically speaking, me coming back to the fact of reminding myself, what is the one thing that is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? Mm-hmm. What is the one thing I can't lose? And according to Romans 8, it's the love of God that nothing mm-hmm. can separate us from that. And then just coming back to that over and over again, that's what I can stand on. Mm-hmm. That's so good. And I feel like we can put so much, and we're talking about politics, we can put our hope in a person, in some political leader, like they are going to change the world, you know, <laughs> and they could change some things, but whether they are in office or not, that doesn't change who God is. Exactly. That we've got to have something other than current events that ground mm-hmm. us. Uh, the same is true for really, I mean, I know a lot of us uh, have our hope in a romantic relationship, mm-hmm. whether it's a spouse or a significant other, whatever it is, but that will fail you too. Mm-hmm. Anybody who is been in a relationship for any amount of time know that no relationship is without its challenges. And so we got to keep coming back to what is the one thing that I can't lose? And mm-hmm. that's the love and reality and presence of God. Mm-hmm. So stay grounded in your gospel identity and then stay curious and ask questions. So we come with this posture of knowing who we are in Christ. Then take us through what what is our next step? Yes. So this idea of curiosity is being curious about the other person that you're in a dialogue with, but also being curious about yourself. So when I'm feeling myself getting defensive about something, to stop long enough, whether go on my own and journal or ask myself, process it, what is causing me to feel so threatened here? Mm. What is causing me to feel so defensive? And just pay attention. Gosh, I'm feeling my heart rate's increasing. My stomach is in knots. Why is that? Where is that coming from? Stay curious about it because when we can be curious about it and name it, it loses some of its power. Mm. But then curious about the person across from us. 
I have not always been good about this. Uh, and that comes from my own insecurity. But there have been so many relationships where I was so defensive or armored up, as Brene Brown would say, or I had that wall, like you mentioned before. Um, there was something about it that was scary to me. When I'm curious, I look at the other person as somebody that, um, you know, I turn that conversation into a classroom. So I'm like, I wonder what it is about their story that's making them so passionate about this. Mm. I wonder if there's pieces or elements of their perspective I'm missing. And then when I am curious, then I can ask questions. So I could ask you, Crystal, wow, I can tell this is a really passionate topic for you, Crystal. Can you tell me more about that? Where mm. is that coming from? I really want to know why this is so important to you. Mm. And just listen. Mm. Right. And in the process, you end up discovering things you didn't know. And even better, you end up creating a, an opportunity for a life giving connection, which is what we all long for ultimately. And that goes along with number three, which is listen. And listen. I think sometimes it is hard for us to just stop and listen, to practice that lost art of listening. Mm hmm. We tend to use pauses and conversations to think of what we're going to say next. Mm -hmm. And so really what this one is about is putting a pause on that and saying, nope, I'm not going to think of what I'm going to say in retaliation or rebuttal or, you know, form my, my argument. I'm going to really track with what this person is saying and just hear them. There's time for a rebuttal later if you feel I need to, mm -hmm. but just allowing there to be no pressure to try to come up with something savvy and smart and sharp to say in response, but instead just really hear them. And if mm. you don't understand, ask a follow-up question. Mm. So I can just kind of picture in my mind, the listener right now who is saying, but, but you don't understand, like this, this person has very wrong beliefs. And if I just ask curious questions and listen, how are they ever going to see the right way? <laughs> Well, the, the science is, is that if they do, quote unquote, have wrong beliefs, you're not going to convince them by just talking more. Mm. I mean, really, at that point in time, and this is where we can get into brain science, when you are in that kind of fight flight mode of defending positions, your executive function isn't even able to rationalize mm. or to think through um, reasoning. It's mm. just not. The brain is offline. The best way to help a person's brain calm down and be open to different points of view is empathy mm. and um, a, an environment of safety. Mm. Well, you can't create safety if you're yelling at them and telling them how they're wrong, mm. right? So if you genuinely want them to be open to a different point of view, the best thing you can do to create that environment for that is to actually listen find something to connect with um, and create a safety. I want you to feel safe here. I want mm. us to be able to have this conversation. What can I do right now to create kind of a safe conversation for us to dialogue? Mm. So good. Just thinking of so many conversations. I know where I've had, where I've just felt that rising up in me, like, this is wrong. I need to show them the right way. I just, oh, need, yes. if I could just have the right words, the right argument to help them see the air of their way. And I love how you talked about staying curious isn't just for the other person, but it's for me. And so mm -hmm. when I feel that rising up in me, what do I do with that? And really asking myself, where is this coming from? And why do I need to be right? Like, where is that need to be right 
coming from? Because it's something deeper. It's something deeper. And I think most times it goes back to number one, that whole idea of identity, mm-hmm. right? There's something about us that feels like we need to legitimize our existence and our position. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, again, that's not where our security needs to be found. Mm-hmm. And then number four, you kind of already talked about that of communicate empathy. What does that look like? How practically would we do that? Especially if we're someone is so like, it feels like I don't even know how to be empathetic. I'm just, I'm frustrated. (laughs) Yeah. That empathy is really hard. And I think at one level, we feel like if we show empathy that we're conceding our position. And so Mm -hmm. we resist empathy because we feel like we want to make it abundantly clear that we don't agree. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But what if instead, you know, empathy is basically stepping into somebody else's reality and you can't necessarily empathize with everything that they're saying, Mm -hmm. but find one thing, just one small way that you can connect with them exactly where they're at. And that can be as simple as saying, wow, I can see that this is really important to you, Mm. right? That's your way of kind of getting on their side of the table and going, I can see that this feels life and death to you. You're really passionate. And I know that it's important to you. And if it's important to you, I want to listen and, you know, show you that it's important to me. Mm. Or it can be simply saying, gosh, I can understand where you're coming from. Or I would imagine if I was in your shoes, I might feel the same way. Mm. Right. So it's not conceding position. It's it's telling them beyond all the passionate dialogue that they matter. Right. And that empathy ends up becoming the bridge to some kind of connection. Not to mention it lowers all of the overactive brain down to the point. It calms it down so that way you can actually have dialogue. Mm. And then the fifth practice you said is restate the value of the relationship. Yeah. And ultimately, that's what we all have to determine is, is what's most important here, my position, or is what most important here, the person. Mm. And this is one of the things that I wrote in that particular chapter, but, and I believe it very strongly when our positions become more important than people, we have really lost sight of what the gospel is all about. It's okay to have positions. I tend to be a very opinionated, passionate person. So I'm not saying that you need to stop being passionate. But when our passions about positions or different postures or things like that blind us to the image of God and the people right in front of us, mm-hmm. then we have missed the point. That's so powerful. And I just love how this entire book, Comes Set With Me, is really about that. Like, how do we show Christ, how are we conduits of God's love to other people in this world that is fractured, in this world that there's so much tension? I I found it really interesting watching media. I like to um, consume media from very different perspectives. I, mm-hmm. I learn a lot from that and how there's fear mongering on both sides. Yes. And, and media is really trying to get you to think like, this is going to be the end of the world, you know, <laughs> on either side uh-huh. and how we can then buy into that and let our fear drive. Mm-hmm. And so then mm-hmm. we feel like if this person is different than me, then I'm like, it, it's that fear is welling up in us. A lot of times I think, you know, that feeling threatened is r- a result of fear. And I just love how everything you shared, it was like, <sighs> yeah. 
just kind of lower the temperature of needing to be right and focusing on that person. And we see Jesus, his example of that over and over and over in scripture of asking those questions and Mm -hmm. of caring and of showing value to the person in front of him. Even if it was someone who was an outcast of society, he brought the value to them. And so I just love how this book is about what does it look like to sit with someone. And I, I, the title of the book, I just think of how I, I walked into some event not too long ago where I didn't hardly know anyone and, and someone waved me down and they were like, come over here, come sit with me. And that's like one of the it's most the beautiful <laughs> things is when someone's like, come sit yes, with me. Exactly. And what does it look like for, instead of us looking for the person to do that for us, to be the person to Mm -hmm. initiate that for Mm -hmm. others. And so this book gives so many practical examples of how we do that. And as we're leading up to Thanksgiving and Christmas, the holiday season, (laughs) family's going to be with you. (laughs) And we all know what happens when family comes together. It can sometimes not be perfect. (laughs) Hmm. You've had to be perfect. (laughs) Sometimes not be perfect. There, you know, it's just different people um, coming together. And mm-hmm. what does that look like for us to sit around the table and really listen and show mm-hmm. empathy and coming at it from our identity being in Christ? So I just really love what you shared. And I feel like I'm going to be mulling on so many of these things over and over again in the weeks to come. And I just want to encourage anyone who's listening who you're like, I I need more resources, practical encouragement, practical ideas for how do I actually foster this in my life, in our home, around the table at Thanksgiving or Christmas, um, and in our community, in our relationships, in our church, um, at our school. This book, Come Sit With Me, is a fantastic resource. And I actually got to write an endorsement for it, read an early copy. And I just wanted to read, I said, this book left me feeling so encouraged and it infused me with practical suggestions and ideas on how to be a better friend to others. It is a much needed message in this hurting, lonely world. And so go get a copy of Come Sit With Me, How to Delight in Differences, Love Through Disagreements, and Live with Discomfort. And thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us today. Mm, My pleasure to come sit with you. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com. 